0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 273 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Terry Stepp. Terry lives in Athens, Georgia, where he is an admin for a land management company. Welcome, Terry. Hi.
1: Thanks, Jen. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: How are you it's doing great. today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, I just have to always say when I talk to anybody who lives in Athens, we are, I am not a Georgia fan. So I just put <laughs> it out there. <laughs>
1: That's all right. I just
0: moved here, so yeah. So yeah. So we talked before before we started recording. Your University of Alabama. I get it. I'm a Wake Forest fan, but in Georgia, I like Georgia Tech because that is where Cal went to college. So, okay. all right. You know, we all have strong feelings in our states, don't we? About that's our, true. We our do. Football yeah. team.
1: For us, it's <laughs> Alabama and Auburn. <laughs> so so just- you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. That That is absolutely true. My friend Sherry lives in um, Alabama and her husband is Auburn all the way. So these rivalries run deep, don't they?
1: They do. They certainly do.
0: Well, you know, I like to start by asking what brought you to intermittent fasting and when was that?
1: Desperation is the short answer to that question. Well, um, I get yeah. that.
0: Absolutely.
1: <laughs> and so I started around July 2020. And so what brought me to intermittent fasting was I've been overweight pretty much my entire life since I was about seven or eight, lived in Germany, some nice German lady decided to make cookies for me to fatten me up and it worked. And oh, wow. so that, that's how my- So that's were, when you, were you
0: skinny before then?
1: I was like real skinny until about seven or eight. And then Emma was her name. She started making all these German cookies and feeding me, and, and pretty soon, I started to, to gain weight. Of course, I didn't realize it at the time. You know, I was, you know, really too young. But when I was around 12 or 13, I remember going to the Husky section in Sears, and then I was starting to catch on that, you know, something that my weight was not normal to what everybody else was uh-huh. wearing. So,
0: so what, what took you to Germany? Was where, where like military family?
1: Yeah, my dad is military, so and he met my mom over there, and she's German, so... Um, and so that's sort of where we lived until I was about 12 or 13. And then we moved over to the United States and back and forth. And then finally settled here, I guess, when I was about 16. And really through that whole time period, I think for me moving constantly, I think food was kind of a security blanket almost, because it kind of, you know, gave me something to, to look forward to. And when you're living in a new place, you don't know anybody, and it's constantly having to make new friends. It's it's kind of stressful for a kid. I don't think most people think about that, but it, it can be very stressful.
0: That's very, very true. And, you know, food, we hear this all the time, how um, emotional food is really for, for everybody and that we all have our emotional ties to eating, our emotional reasons for eating. And, you know, as a child, we start developing this, the comfort eating when we need it, you know, when you're moving and you feel alone. So that that makes a lot of sense. And what we learn in childhood keeps replaying as we as we grow up.
1: Mm -hmm. Because neither of my parents were really overweight at that time. And so it was just kind of, I guess, unusual, but that's how I kind of placated myself, I guess, was through food. So that's kind of, you know, kind of continued on throughout my life. I think I was skinny for a hot minute when I was in high school, I played tennis, I was on the tennis team. And I, you know, got down to where I was probably about 170 or 160. I don't even know that I was really weighing, but I know that I weighed the least amount at that point.
0: And then in high school,
1: in high school, yeah. And then maybe in junior college, I was in a show choir. So I danced and sang and all that stuff. So kind of kept it in check, sort of. And then after that was over, I started to put on weight. And then I think that just continued throughout my life. And, you know, I would gain some and then I would try to lose it through whatever diet was out there at the time. I did try the six meals a day plan, which never oh, yes. really worked, you know, just <laughs> makes you hungry all the time. Um, so I did a lot of different things really to try to lose weight. I even, when I worked at Athens State University for a time, I did the biggest loser competition there for the, for, you know, I was in charge of student activities. And so I kind of got the faculty and staff to, to join this competition and I could not lose. I mean, I really did try it. I could not lose anything. This was when I was already in my forties. So I just turned 50 um, this year. So I was really trying to lose weight and the calories in calories out method just was not working anymore. I don't know if my right. metabolism so, is wrecked, you know.
0: It, it just, it, it never really works very well because it, it's, you know, we're never well fueled and so we're always constantly hungry. So we're fighting our bodies all the time when we try to restrict calories like that. So when you were 16 in high school, before you started playing tennis, you were you were heavy at that point.
1: I was, yeah, I was a little heavy at that point. Yeah, really, from twelve to sixteen is when I was really, you know, probably forty pounds overweight for a kid. Okay, know.
0: but you didn't diet at that time.
1: I didn't. No, I didn't really even know what that was, honestly. You I just started. Really...
0: You just got more active with the tennis, and then you probably also. I would have a hunch that perhaps you, as you started to go through the high school years, I bet you had more friends. You found more of a community. Do you think maybe some of the emotional eating? didn't happen anymore
1: that that could be too you know i know i was more active but then of course my senior year my parents actually moved again so right when i was kind of finding my groove and my niche we ended up moving to alabama from texas and so that's where we've sort of remained my family is still there largely
0: they stayed there in alabama well that makes a lot of sense. It's hard when you're, I can't imagine moving around that much. As hard as teenage years are, having to start over <laughs> at new places.
1: Yeah. And you don't really think about it. You know, when you're going through it, it's not really something like, is this taking an emotional toll on me? You don't really think in those terms, I don't think. But l- years later, I look at it and I'm like, you know, it was really difficult in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah. I imagine that it was. So in those years between, you know, the the biggest loser not working in your 40s and in between, would you say that your weight started to kind of yo-yo? and go up more over time?
1: Yes, definitely. Yeah, and I got to about 280 at the highest that I ever weighed. And so when I started on this journey, I'd lost about nine of that just, you know, because I wasn't really paying attention, but I, I started about 271.
0: Okay, so when you started intermittent fasting, you were about 271.
1: Yeah, and I'm six foot two. I mean, just six foot tall. So I could carry it, but I definitely was a lot heavier and just didn't really feel well all the time you know, just one of the catalysts for me to start was that my father had been diagnosed with type two diabetes a few years ago. And then shortly thereafter, my older brother, who's five years older than me, he was diagnosed with it. So I was looking down the long run. I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't want to have to do this. I don't want to have to take, you know, medications and test my blood all the time for this. I'm like, I need to get a handle on this.
0: You know, that really is true. A lot of us find that it's a wake up call like that, like, seeing some people that are close to you, your dad, your brother, genetically very close to you, right? The uh, the closest people in the world. And to see them start struggling with type 2 diabetes, uh, you were not having that issue at that time, though, yet.
1: Um, I was actually, I went to the doctor and I was uh, said that I was pre-diabetic. So I was pre-diabetic. And so I was like, I need to do something about this. It was a wake up call for me.
0: Like you knew that was what was going to be next.
1: I knew it was coming. Yeah. And so... And I didn't really know what to do about it, so um, I just tried the regular method again—calories in, calories out—because that's what we hear, and didn't have any success on that. So then I just kind of put a prayer out there and said, you know, whatever the answer is, please, you know, help me. Some somebody help me, or and I just got the idea to look up, you know, books about it because I'm a, co- you know, I'm a college educator previously. And so, I always do a lot of study and research. And so, I was like, you know, I've never actually looked for a book about the causes of obesity. So, I typed in obesity into Amazon just to see what would come up. And the first book that came up was… And let me was,
0: guess, guess. The Obesity Code. That's was correct. it The Obesity Code? I knew it. Was, it. I it love was, that. It was yep. the book.
1: Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, and then I started reading the reviews on it and everybody was like, oh, you've changed my life and all these, you know… I mean, they were glowing reviews for a book. And I've never really seen it that, you know, many books like that. So I was like, wow. I downloaded it on Audible and started listening to it. It was really, really dense. It's a pretty dense book, but immediately it makes you angry when you start to hear, you know, how we've kind of been bamboozled, you know, by the industry in so many ways. And I don't think it's by people that meant things to be that way on purpose, but it just makes you kind of like frustrated that you've been told the wrong information. For years and years.
0: You know, it, it's true. And I like to think the best of people. I'm an optimist. So I like to think it isn't on purpose. Like they want us to be, you know, overweight and sick and getting worse and worse. Although there are people who definitely lean that direction is for their thoughts. I'm not one of them. I think that it's just been, you know, it makes so much sense on the surface because we're, we're logical people and the math of calories in, calories out makes so much sense on the surface that, of course, that works. You just eat less. You just move more. Mathematically, we can all do a math equation. So can our bodies, right? And then we start digging in through the obesity code. That was really my big wake-up call, too. I read the obesity code then in 2016. And I also read one of Tim Spector's books right around the same time. I think that that one was the diet myth of his. and And they both had some similar – both obesity code and the diet myth had some similar – you know, themes running through them. And you do, you you leave reading those books and you're like, wow, we've been so fooled. And, and we, again, not, on, not necessarily on purpose, but just because we were trying to make something make sense, but the body is not like that.
1: Yeah, for sure. And then I think now, one of the things that stood out was when they, you know, they looked back into like the 1920s and they really did have something that worked. And I'm like, why did they forget this? So that's one thing that I hope this whole movement does for people now is that they never forget that this is how you can do it. Because at one point they sort of knew if you, you know, cut down on um, certain things, you know, like process things that you know, and sugar specifically, that you could reverse some of these things or also just, you know, lose weight. So...
0: Absolutely. Really, the the problem is ultra-processed foods. And, you know, depending on your body with bio-individuality, we're not all the same with what foods work best for us. But we are all the same that ultra-processed foods are not best for any bodies.
1: Right. I think everybody can agree. It's
0: real food. Real food. Like, I, I don't think, you know, when you start digging into, you know, the keto movement and we start digging into the... You know, whole food plant-based movement, when you really dig in, it's embracing real foods. And The Obesity Code is very much a book about eating real foods. Yeah, for sure.
1: And I think once, you know, once I read through that and understood that, of course, like you, I was looking at the end. I'm like, what do I do? And there was right. just some very <laughs> vague stuff at the end of it. I'm like, this is not going to work. I said, like, I don't think I could do an alternate day fasting schedule right from, you know, this was just. So that's when I started searching again. And that's when I found your book, Fast Feast Repeat. Okay. Okay. Awesome! Yeah, because it
0: was out by then. It was. It came out in June of 2020. So you were right on time. I was right on it.
1: I was right on it, and and I loved it. It was so great. It kind of cut through all the BS, and you you just knew exactly these are the different plans. This is what people do. You know, I refer to so many people now because it was just like a miracle to me. It was just like amazing to me. So I'm so thankful that you wrote it. (laughs) Truly, thank
0: you. I'm so thankful that I had the opportunity to write it because I do not take that the least bit for granted the the fact that I, you know, being able to get a book out there is not easy. <laughs>
1: yeah, no. And it it really changed my life. I mean, it really made a huge difference to me. So, so what um, did
0: you start with? When you, when you um, but you're right, when I got the obesity code, I was so excited because I was like, you know, I'd been reading Jason Fung's blog. This was in 2016, and I'd been reading his blog as before I'd written any books at all. And then I'm like, this is going to tell us exactly what to do. And then it didn't.
1: <laughs> yeah, you were like, and, and also they had prescribed foods you were supposed to eat. And I'm like, I don't think I can eat some of these, things. <laughs> you know, at the end. And, and then I
0: had like, it was 2016. Also, the Complete Guide to Fasting came out that same year. So I was like, well, Complete Guide to Fasting, that one will tell you what to do. And then it came out and it did tell you what to do, but it was like not what I, what
1: I thought I like, should not happening.
0: Because <laughs> it was like 21-day fasts. And, and I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that was so, a
0: Yeah. But you know, knowing what to do and how to implement it into your life was really the key. So what did you start doing when you when you got fast feast or pee and you're like, okay, I'm ready. How did you start?
1: Well, initially I just tried to do it from the obesity code and this is where I ran into problems because I really didn't know what to do. And so I was just trying to the big hang up for me was the diet sodas because I was a diet pep- or diet coke drinker for like twenty something years. That's all I drank, period. Horrible, horrible. But then I started putting that in the perspective. And I'm like, well, if I'm willing to give up food, I can definitely give up Diet Coke because food is more important to me than Diet Coke. So, uh, so I cut that out first. I tried to do that just to try to get it out of my system. So I took it in, in, incrementally in steps. And so that was the first thing I did. And then I started with like a just skipping breakfast. You know, I did the like the sixteen eight, but I actually did it over about a month period. So I really didn't get into it hardcore. During that time, like the first week I was doing that is when I got the fast Feast repeat book and started reading it, got through that in like a day or two. And then I started implementing, you know, the clean fast, because I wasn't really clean fasting up to that point. And I'm like, well, let me let me do this. That was a little bit more of a challenge. But once I did it, it really did make a huge difference just in terms of how I felt. And I wasn't once your body adjusts eating the wall down when I was trying to get to lunchtime, you know? <laughs> so, Oh, whatever.
0: I do know. Yeah. That's very common for anybody who's, who's listening that is brand new to intermittent fasting. Cause you know, this is coming out near the beginning of, of the year when people are, are excited to start new things you know, if you're just starting off, and you're finding that you're wanting to eat everything that's not nailed down when your window opens, that is very common during the adjustment phase. But Terry, it does get better, doesn't it?
1: It definitely gets better. Yeah, now it is so second nature to me. I don't even think about it. I mean, it really is just automatic. Like I know I'm not, I don't eat breakfast. And I'll eat, you know, in the day whenever I'm hungry, and a certain level of hunger, too. But you just really, it's so easy to do. And it's sounds like it's hard, and people that I've told about, I'm like, oh, I can never do that. I assure you, you can. And once you start doing it, it'll be the easiest thing you've ever tried. Well, you know, that is is
0: what... so true. And, you know, you were talking about how you tried to do the biggest loser that you were leading on your campus. You're leading this biggest loser competition, and you were just so hungry and miserable all the time. And you're trying to eat frequently throughout the day because that's what we've been told stoke that metabolism, all these small meals. But all that does is leave you unsatisfied and hungry. And, you know, as we learned from the obesity code, it's all about the insulin levels in your body. So, those tiny little meals that we're eating all the time keep our insulin constantly released. We're constantly releasing insulin for all these small meals. That lowers our blood sugar. And then, bam, we're hungry. So, now we have to eat again. And so, instead of burning our fat for fuel, we're on that blood sugar roller coaster all day long. But we're never eating enough to properly fuel our body. And that's where fasting is so different. Once our bodies adjust, we're no longer on that blood sugar up and down because we're not releasing insulin all the time. And we always have a baseline level of insulin, but we're not pumping out excess insulin. So we start being able to tap into our fat stores. Now we're well-fueled from our fat stores. Now our blood sugar isn't crashing all day. We are less hungry fasting than we were when we were eating little tiny amounts all throughout the day.
1: Yep, for sure. You know, when you start fasting and then you start eating, you kind of notice what food does to you, which you don't really pay attention to a lot of times. But once you're doing this, everything becomes like amplified, I guess, the you know, how it affects your body. And so I would be working someplace and we have a snack bar and I would go and just get some like cookies or something like that, you know, because I was hungry when I, after when I started opening my window, but that would make me so much more hungry. I I would have to go back every 20 minutes. And of course, you know, when you're doing a fast, you're like, well, I'm only going to eat lunch and dinner. I don't want to overeat, you know, it was so much harder when I got those processed foods in there. And I was like, I have to get rid of these, I just have to. And so once I switched over to eating stuff that was more nutritionally dense and, you know but i still liked it i could just last a lot longer before you know i got really hungry again
0: that is such a good point and it's true what you said a minute ago you notice what food does to you it it really is kind of amplified because you know we used to live before fasting we lived and you were constantly putting in something all day long for you it was your diet sodas or the small meals or whatever and so you're really not paying attention to your body's signals because you're always putting stuff in. But when you're fasting and you've gone through that period of fasting, and then you open your window and you say, say, have some cookies or something ultra processed, you really feel what that does to you in a way that you didn't before. And so it's not that fasting has made your body less able to manage things. It's just that you finally can notice it.
1: Yep, for sure. It makes a huge difference. So and you know, that didn't happen right away because I think when I first started fasting, I was still eating whatever I normally ate. But then I started to change it because I realized how it made me feel and how much hungrier I was. Sugar, I'm a sugar addict. So sugar is one of the things that I had to definitely cut down on because it just kind of starts to cycle, almost like an addictive cycle, I would say. I mean, sugar well, for me. you know, in
0: some brain, our brains are not all the same with the way, obviously, you know, some some people can't drink alcohol. They're alcoholics. Their brains get to the point where they they can't say no so they have to just completely abstain and whereas other people can have a drink they're fine you know they're they're they have different brain chemistry i think sugar is one of those things as well some brains are more susceptible to becoming addicted you know what whatever the reason it's it lights up those pleasure centers so understanding that about yourself you know with with fasting you know you can eat whatever you want but you learn over time that whatever you want does change. So do you find that you don't eat much sugar at all anymore or you just eat it sometimes? Um, I still eat it
1: occasionally. I'm trying to cut it out. I'm actually doing an experiment for the next month where I'm trying to do more of a carnivore approach just to see if I can just really cut it out 100% and see if I actually lose my craving for it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm Because I I don't think I would would definitely not do carnivore for an extended period of time. But just to try to see like how my body reacts to it. That's the good thing about fasting for so long. I know I can always maintain my weight. Now I can try different little experiments to see like how can I fine tune it so that I can you know get past certain things. Like, I, I and, love that. Yeah, the sugar. You'll you only
0: know by trying. Yeah, and and I, that's very very common. So for anybody who's listening, if you feel you know like 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 Terry just said that he feels addicted to sugar and it's hard to stop when you just have a little bit and you just want to keep going you know, trying a elimination protocol where you absolutely eliminate it and then see how you feel. That's really the best way. You're an experiment of one, your body.
1: Yeah, You can sure. figure it
0: out. So how are you feeling? When did you start with your carnivore experiment? About
1: a week ago. So I've been doing it about a okay. week now. Uh, I'm still not, like I have a ketone blood meter. Okay. For whatever reason, I do not get into ketosis very easily. And even if I've been doing this for a week, I'm still like at a point four right now. So I'm not even over like a one, you know,
0: I've got something. I saved it years ago. Let me see if I can find it real quick. I have a saved note from back when I had the Facebook groups. Let's see if I can find my little note. Here it is. It's it's something I saved in 2018. Back when I had you know, in the Facebook groups, people were, you know, checking their blood ketones. And there was a YouTube video that, that I found. Basically, in this video, I'll see if I can link it in the show notes. But they talked about blood ketone levels, and ketosis, and that anything above a 0.1 is indicative of ketosis. Okay. And so looking for that 0.5 magic number that that really early on before people really understood, they thought that's what it needed to be to, be in, to indicate that you were having ketosis. If you're getting a 0.4, you're there. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. I'll, I'll see if I can link that. I'll try to remember to put it in the show notes.
1: Yeah, because I hear all these other people that are like one, point, you know, two point, but and I can't, for me, it's like getting to one is almost impossible. I mean, it's just only happened right. one time that I can think of. But
0: then you feel like a failure because you're like, well, everyone else is doing a 1.2. Why am I only a 0.4 when really 0.4 is not a problem? So I just found this this video and I clicked on it real quick and it's, it's with Dr. Benjamin Bickman. I totally didn't even realize that because I didn't know who he was back in. 2018. And now I know he's, you know, why we get sick. He's the insulin guy. But this video from 2018 on the biohackers lab is what what we want to look for. So look for that. It was called the best diet for insulin resistance. And he talked about why we do not need, if we're looking at our ketone numbers, we do not need to be shooting for, you know, a one or a 0.5 or anything like that. So, you know, I, I love that that was Benjamin Bickman. I can't believe that I didn't, you know, I didn't know who he was back in 2018, but now I do. But so does that help you feel a little bit better about your 0.4? Yeah,
1: definitely. Definitely does. Because, and the thing is, I've lost weight regardless. So I, I wasn't too obsessed with the number, but just when I see it, I'm like, well, everybody else is going to hire a number than me, you know, what's, what's wrong with me, you know? <laughs> so it does definitely help. Yeah.
0: Have you ever had your fasted insulin level checked?
1: I don't know that they've ever checked that. I know they've checked everything else and all my numbers are a lot better now than they used to be. So I'm not pre-diabetic anymore. I would
0: 100% say that they have not checked it if if you are not sure because they don't check it. The thing about fasted insulin is that people don't check it. It's not routine at all unless you go to like a naturopath or somebody who's holistic and they understand the importance of, of your fasted insulin level. You can ask your doctor to check it. And your doctor might say, Are you sure that's what you want? And they might think that you mean A1C, but you don't. Fasted insulin is what you want. That would be interesting to see.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure whether they, you know, I've never seen it. So I, and I didn't know to yeah, ask for it. You can for ask, it. ask
0: for it next time and see. And then you can email me and let me know. I'd be curious to see. But you said that you are you no longer pre diabetic. Has that been reversed?
1: Yes, that has been reversed. Yeah, that is no longer an issue for me. So, and I, of course, I still have to maintain, you know, fasting, which I'll, I'll do everywhere. Uh, do all the time, anyways, because it's something that I really like doing, and it makes me feel good. So why not?
0: Yeah. So you've been fasting since 2020. So we're recording this. It's almost November of 2022. So you've been you've been fasting for over two years now.
1: I love it. Like I would never change so it. Glad. I feel like it's the one thing that you learn to do that you learn how to do maintenance before you learn how to actually tweak it until it works, you know, because I mean, it worked from the beginning, but I did have a stall at one point. So then I had to tweak more things, but it didn't matter because I knew that I could always fast regardless. Like I knew fasting wasn't going to go anywhere. Like I knew how to do that.
0: I love that.
1: Yes. I could stay at my weight if I needed to move down more Then I might have to tweak it, but I already knew how to do it because you learn from the beginning. This is how you do it. This is what you do to maintain That's fantastic.
0: Forever. What you just said is like a big light bulb moment, I think, that a lot of people need to hear. So I'm going to circle back to that. So fasting is the tool that you've got. But we have a whole toolbox full of strategies. I, mean, I talk about them in Fast, Feast, Repeat, and it's window length, window timing, fasting length, fasting timing, what you eat in your eating window, what you might delay, all of those things are in our toolbox. And so fasting is the basis, but you've, you figure out what you have to tweak along the way. Sometimes, you know, we'll have new fasters in the community before they get to the point where like, like you with the tweak it till it's easy mindset, they, they get like upset. They'll be like, I'm so upset. I'm 60 days in and I've stopped losing weight and this is what I'm doing and I'm not losing weight. And like, no, you're not upset. Don't get upset. Here's why. What you're doing right now is a great maintenance protocol for you. So all you have to do is tweak something to find what would get you losing weight. Yeah, and you get to try
1: everything, and knowing that you're not—it's not, not going to go back up. My weight's not going to go, you know, wildly crazy back up because I'm always going to be a faster. It's just something that that I like doing. And
0: that's exactly right. So, how was the weight loss when you started? Like, how much have you lost? How quickly did it happen? You mentioned that you plateaued. Yeah, so it's like I lost
1: about—I guess—50 pounds initially. I was at two seventy-one. So I got down to like 220 around that area fairly easily. I think I was doing OMAD for that first 50 pounds.
0: Oh, so then one meal a day.
1: F- yeah, one meal a day. And I would open with a snack and then have like my dinner and then that would be it. And then I, st- you know, I stayed sort of around 220 for a while. It was really hard to get under that. I think there was some mental. <laughs> I was like 220. I was <laughs> um, like, why am I not getting under 220? So then I started working with doing some alternate day fasting. And that did seem to work. I was still eating. I mean, I wasn't eating a lot of processed food. I'd already cut down a lot of that by that point. But I was still eating pretty much anything I wanted, you know, including stuff that has sugar in it. But with the ADF, alternate day fasting, I started to lose again until I got to around 205 in that area. And then I started to cut down my carbs. And then from there, I've, I've now gone down to about 195. So I, I maintain between 195 and 200. I'm still trying to go down further than that. I'm still, sugar is still my, my issue, my kryptonite. So I think if I can just cut the sugar out, that may be the key to getting to like, I'd like to weigh 180 eventually, but it's more about the fat around my stomach. I don't really care whether or not I weigh 180. If, if I could weigh 200 and not have, you know, the little spare time you want to lose that
0: visceral fat
1: yeah i I mean that's my goal i mean because i'm already wearing a large shirt from a 3x or 2x so i mean that was a huge change already and so for me i was gonna you know i know you always talk about your honesty pants i have honesty shirts because for me all my weight is on the top and so if i have a a large shirt i have one that i bought at thrift store and that is just a little bit too tight it was unbuttonable before now i can button it but it's still kind of tight so i really want the shirt to be loose someday so that's my goal
0: I love that. And I think that's that's much better than using the scale because with, with fasting, when we have body recomposition, we build muscle, we lose fat, the scale might not get to 180, but if that shirt is loose, you've got to your goal body. You've gotten to the, the size you want to be. So I think that's a really great way to gauge your progress using your honesty shirt, honesty pants, honesty, whatever it is. Use those clothes as your guide.
1: Yeah. Tape measure is also good. Oh yeah. I started at like a 52 around my midsection and now I'm like a 41 and a half. So, I mean, that, that was a, a huge change, but yeah, it's been, it's been a great journey so far. So and that I'm not really is a at,
0: huge change.
1: Yeah. I'm not even in a rush. I mean, at this point, if I was 195 for the rest of my life, I'd be fine with that, you know, but you know, I don't mind pushing a little bit and challenging myself and, you know, getting down a little bit further. And like I said, and it may also be that Sugar is not the thing that's keeping me there. It may be that I need to cut down on the cheese because I, I do love cheese. And so that's where I get my calcium from pretty much. So I hate to cut yeah, that out. Yeah,
0: so I, I totally get that because cheese is one of those things that I have struggled with over time just because it's so easy to overeat it, right?
1: Mm-hmm. It's so good. <laughs> too.
0: It's so good. And overeating anything is not a good weight loss strategy, right? So, you know, cheese is just so easy to overeat. You know, there are certain things. Sugar is one of those things that's easy to overeat. But also sugar is – we're not usually just eating sugar. It's also usually coupled with a lot of fat too. So we're eating, you know, the like ice cream. You know, it's, it's not necessarily just the sugar. It's also – the the fat that's in there and everything so it's really easy to overconsume. So anything that we struggle with overconsumption, if you find that you are really overdoing it with something that is is you know like butter, cream, cheese, sugary desserts, those are the things I think that that we have to really look at. For me cheese has been a big one.
1: Yeah, when it comes to fat, I feel I have a hard time overeating that, I think just because I don't I mean, like fatty meat and stuff, I just can't deal, I can't deal with that a lot. No, like, I couldn't overeat fatty meat either. It just doesn't like, you know, I mean, it's, it doesn't talk to me. It doesn't be like, overeat me. you know, it's, it's not going to happen. Right, so
0: when, the way you're doing carnivore, like, are you do, like meat only, or are you also having dairy?
1: I'm doing a little bit of dairy. It's mainly like uh, ground beef, but you know, you can get it pretty lean, but I usually do the 80-20, you know, so it's not super duper lean, but if I eat like that and a couple, if I eat like three hamburger patties and three eggs, like I'm pretty much done for the day. Like I I will not be hungry again. So unlike if I eat like, you know, Chips or something <laughs> something like that. Right. If I eat no, potatoes, I want to eat. A potato will satisfy me for a while, but then I will want to eat again. And then the next day, fasting is harder for some reason, which makes me cry okay. on the inside because I love potatoes. Well, so my favorite thing. Well,
0: that's the part where you learn to really listen to your body because you're learning, okay, the hamburger meat and the eggs satisfy you. You're perfectly fine. Whereas for me, a big baked potato, with, I am so happy. I, know, I was hoping
1: I was like you, so I actually did Darn that experiment it. I did that experiment too, and the next day I wanted to eat it. I'm like, why am I so sorry
0: hungry today? Pasta right. I try, I leaves it. me with pasta leaves me with rebound hunger, so I totally get it, you know, like uh, certain pastas more than others, but potatoes no, I'm good to go. I could eat eat those potatoes all all the time, and I'd be so so satisfied, but <laughs> There is no off switch for cheese.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I yeah, I can eat cheese a lot too. I like cheese a lot. And maybe too much and maybe that's why I need to cut out, you know. It's just
0: I don't want to. <laughs> I know. Dairy is one of those things to look at and, you know, my big my phrase is delay don't deny. So, I get it. Nobody wants to cut out anything or say no to anything, but if you're struggling to lose weight, And again, I talked about the things that you can tweak. One of the things is what you're eating. And if you are overeating dairy, I mean, they talk about this in the keto world all the time as well. And that's probably why I didn't lose weight on keto. I overate dairy, but you were allowed to. You know, I was following the plan. I was tweaking my macros. I was hitting it like I was supposed to and not losing weight, but I was having a whole lot of dairy. And you just have to really, I think we always know, like my time as a teacher taught me If a kid's doing something wrong, if you say to the kid, "Do you know what you're doing wrong?" the kid knows. They always know. And and so if you really feel like you know, like I feel like X Y Z is holding me back, then X Y Z is most likely what is holding you back. And don't let it make you mad. It just is what it is. So, (laughs) yeah. So it might be dairy, Terry. I don't want it to be dairy. No, I know anything but dairy.
1: Uh, we'll see. I'll, I'll cut it i'll cut it down i'll cut it down and we'll see what happens see
0: what happens yeah and and nobody wants it to be those favorite things like for me like i'm i'm not happy that i can't eat a lot of ice cream with my restless legs and all that because i don't want it to be that but it is and i'm still going through the whole wine thing and i don't want wine to be a problem for me but wine is a problem for me so i'm not drinking hardly at all and i feel so much better
1: now, can you drink other stuff like you know, vodka I, I and don't tonic?
0: drink a lot you know I can have like a margarita, but I can't have too many margaritas because they're too much sugar makes my makes me have restless legs so I do better like if I have one margarita, it's easy You're to okay. stop I'm fine, yeah, and like if I have one glass of wine, I'm okay it's just when I have like that second glass of wine so I'm you know. even though people who have been listening for years know I've struggled with that, you know, I don't like to tell myself no. I don't like to moderate. I like to delay, not deny. But there comes a time when I realize, you know, I don't feel my best when I eat a lot of sugar or have a lot of alcohol. My body doesn't like that. And feeling good is a powerful motivator. So am I just now adulting at the age of 53? Maybe. Well, we all got to do it at some point, but
1: try to push it off as long as you can.
0: (laughs) Well, that's very, very true. And (laughs) I'm not having a glass of wine every night with dinner anymore, and I'm not sad about it. So I'm learning how to be like, you know, I want to feel good, so I'm going to have a glass of coconut water or a glass of kombucha and put it in a pretty glass. and, And that's what I need to do. And so I feel so much better.
1: Yeah. I have to try a cheese that I don't like that much and then start there. Just
0: have a little bit of it. Yeah. <laughs> do
1: like, Swiss or like, something and be like, well, I'll only eat like one size of this because I don't really like it, you know. But
0: oh, like I could eat like an entire ball of mozzarella. Like,
1: oh, mozzarella. Like right. if
0: you're eating like a snow cone, I could eat a piece of mozzarella like it was a snow cone and just eat the whole thing. Anyway, probably not a good idea. So long term, I love that you're saying that if you just stayed where you are right now, you would be happy. You would like to lose a little bit more, but you're not in a rush and you're not like stressed about it.
1: Yeah. I try not to stress out about it because I think stress just makes it worse. (laughs) So you don't want to stress out. I'm excited to try different things because I know that I'm not going to, you know, go up in my weight. I I know it's only going to be a downward momentum from this point forward. So, I mean, that's, that's reassuring because I don't think I've ever felt that way before.
0: Yeah. I think, I think that's very true. Well, I've, I love the way that you are just embracing the process and not letting it stress you out. And you know that this is just the way you're going to live forever. So there's no reason to stress.
1: Yeah, no, not at all. Um, definitely, you know, I'm very vocal about it and tell other people about it. So um, try to, you know, encourage others to do it because it's like it's like a miracle. You find it. You're like, really wow. Well, so like, you,
0: sh- you share and you say some people are like, it's too hard. But have you had any anybody in your life who you have inspired to start?
1: Yeah, actually, several people have started that I've talked to my friends here. Even though they're not, you know, they're not doing it for the weight loss; they're doing it more for the health benefits of it—sore muscles and you know, trying to help with recovery—and and so they've been they've been doing it too. I thought that was great that they would give it a try. And then um, my friend's parents—they're doing it. My both of my sisters have. have are trying to do it too. So yeah, I've told a lot of people about it because, you know, it's hard not to, I I can be kind of annoying about it, I think too, because I'm just (laughs) like, Hey, you got to try this. You know, if somebody asks me about it, they're going to get, you know, just so much information about it from the get go. So, but I do refer them to your book and the obesity code, you know, if they're science minded, I might tell them about that too. but I feel like your book does a pretty good job of also going over the basics of that. So I feel like it's a good place to start.
0: Well, I'm glad and I'm a big fan of of sharing, as you know. Everyone who listens knows that I feel that way. But sometimes people are afraid to tell other people because they don't know how it's going to be received. And like I remember one time Chad and I were on a cruise and we were sitting at the bar and ordered a drink at the bar. And the bartender, I don't remember how we got started talking about it, but it comes up, right? Fasting just comes up naturally. And so I said something about it. He's like, oh, that's really terrible for you. You're going to lose all of your muscle." And I'm like, well, okay. I didn't argue with them. Of course, I'm not going to lose all my muscle. That's not. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> not going to happen.
1: <laughs> First thing it goes I after I, is the muscle. I got all this fat, yeah, but no,
0: no, right, exactly. That doesn't make any sense. The body would not do that. So I have not lost all my muscle. In, but I'm not going to argue with this guy. I don't need to convince him. And you also don't need to convince, you know, that loved one in your life who's, you know, giving you grief about it because. You know, I've I've gotten grief many times over my years of life for many things, and it's not my job to convince anybody. It's just I have to live with how I feel and plant that seed. So if you tell someone and they make fun of you and they're awful about it, that says a lot more about them than it says about you.
1: Yeah, I just put it out there and be like, here, you know, I've told you, I've done my part. So I can't say, I don't want to feel guilty about not telling somebody about it. I know when I was first starting, my older brother actually passed away from complications of type 2 diabetes um, about about six months after I had read your book. And, you know, of course, now I have these thoughts like I should have told him about it sooner, you know, because, but at the time I was still saying it was going to work for me, you know, because I was still pre-diabetic at that point. But, you know, there's some regret that goes into that. So that's why I'm like, I might, you know, somebody might give me some pushback if I tell them about it, but I'm going to put it out there. If they mention something about diabetes or they mention something about being overweight, I'm going to tell them about it. Because the worst that can happen is that they just ignore me or, you know, get onto me for doing it. Uh, but I know how it's affected me. I have, you know, 100% evidence that it's, I'm, I'm much better off now than I ever was before. And it's something that I've actually managed to do, you know, for years now. So this is two years in.
0: Well, tell us about some of those health benefits that you've noticed other than the weight loss. What are some of your health victories?
1: Well, my blood pressure, I was on blood pressure pills since I was about 32. And so I'm no longer on those. My blood pressure awesome. is now normal for the first time. Oh, and well. I thought it was genetic and my grandfather was on blood pressure pills, but I don't need them anymore. So that was a big one because thats I hate taking pills in general. But when you, and when you have to take one every single day, ugh. And then my allergies, um, I don't take allergy pills anymore. I had the worst seasonal allergies since I was like 10 or 11. I mean, I've had them forever. And it's like the first time in my life I don't have to take, I may occasionally I'll get some sniffles here and there. So I'll take like an Allegra, you know, I think I have maybe taken four this season and I'm new to Georgia. So I'm not really used to the different pollens that are here, but still saying that, I mean, that's still a huge, I, I was taking like, Allegra, and something else with it because it just wasn't enough. But now I just don't have that problem anymore.
0: Love it. That's reduced inflammation right there.
1: It is. It's amazing. Just, just that alone <laughs> would have been worth doing it. I've had some dry patches of skin that, are, that have disappeared. So that was a really great thing. I feel that getting rid of Diet Coke out of my diet, you know, it was, I did it because I wanted to fast correctly. But getting rid of all those artificial chemicals has, is a huge benefit. I mean, I can't even imagine drinking that stuff. I've tried one recently. I was like, Ugh. you know, like how could I even drink that?
0: Yeah, it tastes like <laughs> like poison, doesn't it? Yeah, After it... you cleanse cleanse it from your palate, it's you. You are like, oh no, ever like I accidentally drank some diet orange juice on Christmas morning at my my dad and stepmother's. We had brunch and. I like orange juice and I'm having brunch it's Christmas morning. So I take a sip of the orange juice and I'm like, uh, what, what is this orange juice? (laughs) Cause I could just, I tasted the artificial sweetener it had like sucralose in it. And she's like, Oh, this is what it is. And I read the ingredients. I'm like, Nope. (laughs) So I didn't drink any more of it just because I don't like the way it tastes at all.
1: Yeah. I read all the labels now because now I want to know like, what am I putting in my body right now? So, I mean, that's another one. That's a huge one is, um, really taking better care of myself and just being health conscious for the first time, really, you know, I don't want to put a bunch of stuff in there. That's going to, you know, be bad for myself because I've lost the weight. And I have something to like work towards, which is, you know, your overall health. So I eat a lot of healthier foods now than I did. And then I also feel like I'm more in control over food. I mean, like I've never really felt like I was in control. I felt like it kind of controlled me, but I don't feel that way anymore. Cause now I know I'm, I'm going to determine when I eat and what I eat. And, you know, I'm not driven by these hormonal urges to eat certain, you know, junk food or whatever. You know, I don't even know if that's what, it, what does it, but it just feels really good just to not have to constantly be um, a slave to food, especially when I eat sugar. Because like I said, when I start eating sugar, I can still, I feel those feelings again. And I'm like, okay, this is what that was like. I don't, I don't like that. So that's definitely a, a lot that has changed in my life.
0: It really does drive you to overconsume ultra processed foods in general. For me, it's those people have heard me say it a million times. If they've listened, it's cheesy, crunchy things or oh, Doritos, cheesy, yeah. salty, fat Doritos, and Love Doritos. Um, I do too. Even now, even as a food snob, I still like the taste of them potato chips of all kinds. Those are the kinds of things that I have no off switch for. So I don't buy those things because I, I I could eat them if I wanted to, but I don't want to because I don't like the way they make me feel and it's hard to stop eating them. So that's where the adulting comes in once again of I could eat a bag of Doritos if I wanted to, but do I really want to? No. But it's not my fault that I can't stop eating them. It's not because I'm weak. It's not because I have no willpower. I have great willpower. I fast every single day for probably an average of 19 hours. My willpower is not the problem. It's those ultra processed foods that are the problem and what what they do in our brains.
1: Yeah. But we have told ourselves that, you know, for the longest time I told myself it was my fault. I was weak. I can't right. do this. But as soon as I got rid of those things, it was so much easier. And as soon as I started fasting, it was so much easier to control those you, things. You
0: discovered you're very strong. Yeah. You're not weak at all. You know, we, there's a lot of shame you know, that comes along with have, feeling like we're failing at dieting over the years. You know, if you're somebody, you know, my husband, naturally thin, doesn't struggle with that. He doesn't understand the shame involved with with not being able to, you know, control your body, right? Or control your cravings or stop eating the chips. He could have two chips and be like, I've had enough chips.
1: Yeah. I'm pretty good with chips, honestly. Potato chips. I don't. For you, it's the sugar. It's the sugar. Yeah. But, but also bread is also an issue for me because it gives me, it gives me heartburn. I don't have heartburn anymore. Oh. So that's another, that's another good thing. I got rid of my heartburn. I've had that for years and I don't have it anymore. That's amazing. But I wow. still love bread and bread is like something I could definitely be addicted to. Cause I, you know, I was born in Germany. So we have tons of bread. <laughs> the breads yeah. over there are like amazing in the rolls and stuff. So, um,
0: Oh, I bet they are.
1: But I'm hoping, and I think that in moderation, I could probably do it. I think it'd be okay. Once I get to where I feel like I want my body to be, then I'm going to, oh, man, it's going to be my way of life, I think. And then I'm going to incorporate all the things, you know, other than the processed things. But, you know, and also
0: reintroduce, you know, whole foods, real foods, carbs, and see how your body does with those. So right now, are you still doing alternate daily fasting?
1: I am. I just, yeah, I just started it like last week. I've done it before, so I'm, I'm familiar with it. I sometimes do the 500 calories depending on how the day is. If, on the if down I'm, day. Mm-hmm. If I'm super duper hungry, I'm going to eat something because I'm just not going to, you know, I'm going to go ahead and do it. Um, if my body keeps telling me, eat something, eat something, then I'm just going to eat the 500 and see how that goes. I'll try to keep that high protein and fat and to see if that's sustainable. And if, you know, if I can't do it one day, it's not a big deal. That, I think that's the great thing about fasting is like every day is a new day. Every day you can fast again. That is day.
0: it. That is also what I want people to really hear. You know, sometimes people will struggle and they'll have a day where they maybe they they don't fast very long, or they'll be like, I quit fasting. Well, like, well, if you're sleeping through the night and waking up in the morning, you fasted. Okay, maybe it was a short fast, but you didn't quit fasting. It just was a shorter fast. So one thing I really am gonna focus on for the next year is trying to get people out of the restart mindset don't restart. You're not stopping. You're not restarting. You're just, you had some shorter fasts. Now you're ready to get back to some longer fasts instead.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. Because you fast every day. I mean, whether you know it or not. You fast every day. Yeah.
0: I mean, break fast is a thing because you're breaking your fast every single day. You know, if you're, whatever time that is, you're breaking your fast. So instead of thinking of, Intermittent fasting is something to start and stop. Just think of it as like it's what you do, and sometimes it's shorter, and sometimes it's longer. Yeah, but you are not going to stop.
1: Yeah, I change mine up all the time, so I am not set in any. I I do OMAD sometimes. Sometimes I do alternate days. Sometimes I do the five hundred calories. I just keep it going, and every week is different. Like I never really know what I am going to do until the day before. I am like, what am I going to do tomorrow? And then I'll think about it and say, I think I'll do you know an OMAD tomorrow, or I am going to do no food tomorrow, and then do you know an update following that. So um, I love
0: that. Just really depends.
1: I, I you're like just very intuitive flexible. about it now. Yeah, it's nice to be flexible because your body, you know, can get used to anything you do, except for if you're changing it up yeah. a lot. It's really hard for it to I adjust think that's to that. True. So
0: yeah, keep. They call that keeping the body guessing. So is there anything that you struggle with?
1: I still have diet brain sometimes. I think I try not, to, you know, to obsess about things, but sometimes you know I look at the scale too much, and I'm like, oh, let's not weigh myself as much because that's just it it can put me in a, in a bad mood. Sometimes I look at the scale and I'm up, but now because I'm usually in a range, it's not really that bad. I mean, it's like between 195 to 200, I'm fine. If I go above that, then I start to, you know, obsess a little bit. I'm like, okay, yeah, I need to tighten my stuff. Up. <laughs> I need to do something not to get, get over this. So, um, like I said, sugar is still something I struggle with because I really want to eat it. Like all the time.
0: <laughs> I get it. I get it. And, and again, that's been me with wine. I enjoy wine and, I, you know, if if I could just say, I will never have another glass of wine, probably I should, but I don't want to because I enjoy it. Yeah, I'm going
1: to have it. I think (laughs) if I could just get somebody to drop off one piece of chocolate every day at my house, then I could be, then I would be fine. But I can't, you know, you have to buy like, you know, I can buy one thing, I guess, but it's just hard. You know,
0: that's a really, really good point. Like for me, if I open a bottle of wine... I struggle with that more than if I'm in a restaurant, I just have one glass of wine. If I'm at a restaurant and order one glass of wine, it is so easy to have one glass of wine. But if I'm at home and I open a bottle of wine, then I'm like, well, there's that bottle of wine. It's open. I could have another glass because yeah. it's open.
1: Yeah. For me, it's the having the whole bag of, you know, chocolate here or whatever it is. One piece of
0: chocolate, but it's like, (laughs) well, there's more, there's more
1: chocolate in there. I I must destroy (laughs) all of it today. It must be destroyed. Right. Right. I
0: get it. Well, if I, if I don't just drink all the wine right now, then I'll have to drink it tomorrow. Right? right. Anyway, those are the things we tell ourselves. So, you know, maybe one day I'll be a person that never drinks alcohol at home ever again. I just only have a glass of wine at a restaurant or something. And, That's probably the smart thing for me, or maybe for you, the smart thing is to not have sugar at home, but only have it when you're out.
1: Yeah, I think sometimes if I want to do something, I'll plan it, and then I'll go out and buy it just enough for that one thing. Like if I want to have sugar on like a Friday or Saturday, you know, I'll just buy enough for that. And then that's it. There's none in the house. I'm going to eat what I have. I give myself permission to do that. And then it's fine. I, I can deal with that. That's no problem.
0: You're not like getting in your car and driving out and searching yeah. for more, right? i way so it's too it's not lazy like for the that. true, <laughs> <laughs> I get it. <laughs> but it's not like a true addictive behavior where you cannot yeah, stop no, yourself from no. seeking more. Yeah. If
1: it's in the house, that's more of an issue, unless it's somebody else's stuff. So if somebody else would just buy chocolates, I'd only eat one of yours. I'm not going to eat your whole bag of chocolate, but my own chocolate, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be gone, unfortunately. Well, so I, get I, that. Just, I well, just have I to get plan it. it. You have to work with your limitations, I guess, is the thing I'm trying to say. <laughs> you know, just – Well, and know, what and your know weaknesses yourself. Are. Yeah, you know what yep. your weaknesses and are. And we all
0: have different weaknesses. You know, I am not going to eat a bag of candy. I've got no desire to because that's definitely going to give me restless legs and I know I won't like the way I feel and I don't really want it. Like there was a piece of chocolate that, that came in like a, a box of something. as was like a free sample. And it like – we had that little piece of chocolate for like – I don't know, three months sitting in the pantry. It just sat there in its little wrapper. One piece of chocolate sat there and I didn't even want it. And then – It wasn't in my house. (laughs) Well, (laughs) yesterday I was like – my window was open and I'm like, ooh, that little piece of chocolate. I forgot that we had that. I'm like, I'm going to eat it. So I ate it and it was fine. It wasn't enough to give me restless legs, but I only had one piece. But it literally sat there for – for months and it wasn't a problem. Now had it been a bag of Doritos, I would not have forgotten that that was there.
1: <laughs> yeah. I remember going to a friend's house and he had cookies and he said, Oh, I just eat a few and I put them back. And I'm like, this could never happen in my reality. That that a, a pack of cookies would sat on un, you know, just there. I'm like, this is no way. So I just don't buy them. I just can't buy it.
0: And this this is where the discipline comes in and knowing yourself and you know, fasting is a great boundary for your day. Now I'm not eating now I am eating. But when the window is open, you still have to have some discipline around the things that you know that don't work well for you.
1: Yeah. And that's the funny thing about fasting is because if I had chocolate here, and I was fasting, like and I hadn't eaten all day, I would not be tempted at all to even start eating it until I started eating it.
0: Yeah, when the window opens, you need a different kind of discipline.
1: Yeah, it's definitely different because it's much it's much easier to fast in a lot of times than it is to start eating and then try to stop yourself. You know, I mean, it's just uh, so that's why I think it's why it's been, I've been so successful at it because yeah, I can actually I say so really too. control myself until I open the window. Now, I, I, now I've learned how to make some pretty good stuff, so that I usually try to cook most of the things. Like I, I love crackers. I don't, I don't really buy those, but I make keto crackers out of okay. almond flour, and I love them. They're great. Their Ooh! How do you make them? There's like four ingredients. It's really just almond flour. I put two tablespoons of ghee in it. It's like two cups of almond flour, two tablespoons of ghee, a half a teaspoon of salt, and one egg. And that literally oh, is that the sounds recipe. so easy. It is, and you just and mix
0: it up and roll it out, bake it.
1: I roll it out on the exact thickness that I want, and then you just cut it, and then that's it. You bake it. I think it's at 350 for like 12 minutes. And I just keep an eye on them, see when they get brown, and then there's kind of. And I go ahead and cut them with the pizza cutter while they're rolled out so I can go ahead and get the cracker shape and, and then just break them oh, apart. Oh, that's perfect. And they're, they're good. Yeah, and that doesn't
0: have anything funky in there. It's just all good ingredients.
1: No, and it takes like you know, 15, 20 minutes to make it the most. So it's, it's great. That's this. a great
0: tip. Yeah, I remember back when I was trying to do keto and not losing any weight, but <laughs> the summer of 2014 before I started intermittent fasting, for real. Have you ever had that fathead pizza?
1: Oh, yeah. I've made that a few times.
0: Oh, yeah, but I was crazy about that. Chad even liked it. But again, the crust is made of almond flour and also mozzarella cheese. So <laughs> there was that dairy. And then you put more cheese on top. But yeah, it was no, it absolutely was very delicious. Decadent. I definitely couldn't eat a
1: whole one of those because, like a regular pizza, I can eat the whole pizza. I mean, like a whatever kind. I mean, but the, to me, that stuff is so heavy. I could only eat like two or three of it i'm like, See, that's
0: it. the here's the difference for me. The fat head pizza did not satisfy me to the point that I probably could have eaten a whole lot more of it than the regular pizza with with wheat crust, like a, a regular pizza. I get full faster. That that's the bio individuality again and in knowing yourself. That yeah. that's why we're all so different. Yeah. And
1: there's still nothing like regular pizza, because regular, yeah, regular pizza my, is my is desert so island very good. food.
0: <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, we are almost out of time. What would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting or what do you wish you knew when you first started?
1: Get the fasting down first. Like, you know, make sure you know how to do that before you start obsessing about what you're going to eat. Just do the fasting first. Like that's that's the thing they should focus on is like, let me get my fast situated. And then once you've done that and you can play around with your, your windows and all that other stuff, but just find something that works for you first and foremost and then you can try everything, you know, once, once that's situated and you know, you're going to fast and you, know, you have a good protocol, you can try, you know, the food and make the tweaks that you need along the way. So that would be,
0: I think that's really good advice. Thing. And
1: persistence is the key to success. That's my phrase that I always, my mantra that I always say, persistence is the key to success. So I didn't give up on dieting. I always look for a way or eating right to look for a way to lose weight. And I finally found it. It just took me being persistent.
0: Yeah, that's really true. Persistence is the key to everything in life, right? The key to success for no matter what, whatever your challenge of your life is, persistence, that will solve it.
1: And thank you so much for everything you've done.
0: I'm just really grateful for the opportunity to do it. Like, I absolutely love this podcast. I love talking to people. I love hearing how fasting has changed your life and I love the potential that it has to change so many more lives. And you know, how many people are going to change their health trajectory? Like you have changed your trajectory. You are not going to have type 2 diabetes.
1: Thank God. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: I know. I'm, I know. And I won't either. That. And and just knowing that, that's it, the power of fasting. Well, thank you so much, Terry.
1: All right. Thank you, Jen.
0: Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at Jen at com, and I'll add you to the lineup.